This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Today we continue our series through the book of James. We've been in here uh, most of this summer, and so we're really uh, getting to be on the home stretch and uh, we're getting into James chapter 3. We'll be looking at, as Pastor Jason read, James uh, 3, verses 13 through 18. We've talked about uh, a lot about James, how we, we've mentioned every week that the book of James, many scholars and theologians consider the book of James to be pro- the Proverbs of the New Testament, talking about living a life of a Christ follower. What does the life of a Christ follower look like? We saw that uh, a Christ follower follower has an eternal perspective, even amongst joy, uh, even amongst trials and, and suffering. That a a Christ follower has a eternal perspective, understanding that even in difficult circumstances, that God is uh, still at work. We, we talked about how uh, as a, a Christ follower needs to not just hear the Word of God, but do the Word of God. James talks a lot about applying your faith to your life, not just taking in a lot of information about God, but living that out. That's very important to James. We saw in uh, James uh, chapter 2, we talked about how uh, the sin of favoritism, a big problem in the church of Jerusalem, who James is writing to, was they had a, the sin of, uh, some translations say, partiality or favoritism. We talked about how many um, uh, in their churches at that time, uh, the rich people would sit up front um, and the poor people would either have to stand or sit at the feet of a rich person. And we, uh, we've talked about how a Christ follower sees the value of every human life. We even talked about that a Christ follower is one that is reaching out and in a pure, undefiled religion is for those, uh, talk about orphans and widows, those that are society on the outside, on the outcasts that are marginalized. And so we have a heart as Christ followers to love God, but also to love people. Then uh, Stephen covered for us a couple of weeks ago the big question, what are, where is it about faith and works? And James talks, said that faith without works is dead. Now, works does not equate faith. It's easy to get that backwards if we were to break this down into a um, formula or, or some kind of math problem. Uh, works does not equal faith. There's some that would like to say that, that we can earn our salvation by checking off a box, uh, a bunch of boxes and a, to, a spiritual to-do list. And if we do that, then therefore we have faith. We receive salvation. No, faith equals works. That by our faith in Jesus Christ and the redemption that he provides for our hearts, then we have the ability to do good works because Christ has created that in us. 
Then last week, we talked about controlling the tongue. We talked about a Christ follower uh, is one that is able to have um, spiritual maturity in what they say. And we talked about what a danger the tongue is. James compared the the tongue to a a dangerous fire. We saw that um, James said that uh, the whole body, it stains, the tongue stains the whole body and it sets the course of life on fire and is, set, and, it's, and is itself set on fire from hell. And it's talked about how we've tamed every kind of animal and bird and reptile and fish has been tamed, but he said no one can tame the tongue. And so we need God to change our hearts because we made the statement last week that the tongue is a dipstick to the heart, and it shows our, what we say shows what's really going on in the inside of our hearts. And so we need the Lord to change our hearts to make us more like Jesus Christ so we can represent Jesus in even what we say. Well, today, before we get into James chapter 3 and verse 13, I want you to hold your finger here and go back to James chapter 1 and verse 5, okay? James, uh, a lot of times, goes back to different themes and and kind of repeats himself in a different way. And so we're going to see that again this morning. So look at James chapter 1 and look at verse 5. Previously, he had said, he had, he had said, you know, we need that, uh, Uh, believers need to count all joy when we experience various trials and different testing and and suffering. But then he says here in verse 5, he says, now if any of you lack wisdom, he should ask God who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly and it will be given to him. As I've been studying this book and preparing sermons and even been reading it on my own in the past, Whenever I come to, like, let's, let's, let's go back to what we, we looked at last week. Whenever uh, I, I come to James chapter 3, the first 12 verses of James chapter 3, you look at the tongue and how difficult it is to tame our tongues, and we need God to change us. We need the Lord to give us wisdom. We keep coming back to James chapter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 5, because if we're going to hear the, the Word of God and do the Word of God, we need wisdom, we go back and we, we think about uh, living a life of concern for those that are marginalized in society. We need wisdom to do that. If we are going to avoid the sin of favoritism and partiality in our spiritual walks, we're going to need what? Wisdom to do that. If we are going to live in a way where our works prove our faith if we, and we, we live out our faith through our works, that's going to take wisdom. And so we wisdom is really, really important. So if someone was going to ask you how to define wisdom, how, how would you define it? All right, ask yourself the question. You don't have to tell anyone, hopefully not near you, um, uh, unless it's your family, but you don't have to spit it out. But like, for just a second, if someone were to come to you and say, what does it mean to have wisdom, what would you say? I think sometimes where we think of wisdom as being like really, really smart, right? Like, man, I feel I have a high IQ and I'm really intelligent, then therefore I have wisdom. But when we look at our world around us, we have really smart people who, ha- who don't have wisdom. So that can't be that. 
Or sometimes I think if we think of wisdom, we think that wisdom comes from age, right? Well, as the older I get, the more, more mature I'll get, so therefore I'll have more wisdom. And there is, a, there is such a thing as wisdom that comes from life experience or the school of hard knocks, but that's not the wisdom that James is talking about. When we talk about spiritual wisdom in Proverbs, Solomon writes in the Old Testament in Proverbs, he, he writes a lot about wisdom. He writes to his son and he says, pursue wisdom like you would a great treasure. So when we talk about wisdom, what are we talking about? Here's how I would define it. Now, if you want to define it a little bit differently, that's okay. Uh, I'm open for debate on this, okay? But here's how I would define wisdom, spiritual wisdom. The ability to live life well. All right, if we want to get even more spiritual, to live a life that is pleasing to God. That's wisdom, So a wise Christ follower is someone that can live a life of pleasing God. That's going to take wisdom. But here in verses 13 and 18 that we're going to see here in a minute, there are two kinds of wisdom. We're going to see that there is worldly wisdom and there's also godly wisdom. And we're going to see the differences. And James does a really good job of helping us differentiate, okay, what is worldly wisdom and what is godly wisdom? There is such a thing as worldly wisdom. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And there's also such a thing as godly wisdom. What James is doing in this entire book is to define and show and help us realize what godly wisdom looks like. So look at verse 13. Let's read that, verses 13 through 16. It says this, "'Who among you is wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom.'" But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is, er- but is earthly, unspiritual, dynamic, d- d- demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder in every evil practice." So James starts out in this section to define worldly wisdom. What, is it, what does it look like? Well, he starts out in verse 13 kind of asking a rhetorical question. And it's pretty, pretty clever of James to write in this way because he asks a rhetorical question after he's gone on for 12 verses, really hammering home that none of us can tame our tongues, right? We talked about that last week. So then he comes back to this rhetorical question. James kind of beats us down a little bit and he, he kind of tears us down, but he's going to build us back up here in a second because he's just hammered home. You can't control your tongue. No one's able to do it. It's, an, it's, a, it's a, a fire that's set on fire of hell. So he comes here and he asks a rhetorical question, who among you is wise and understanding? Now, hopefully, since we've gone gone this far in our journey through James, we can all are probably starting to think, well, I'm not wise and understanding, right? I hope we've kind of come to that place, that the Holy Spirit's taken us to that place, because we've looked about hearing and doing doing the Word. A lot of times we're really good at hearing the Word, but not doing it. Or we're not very good at taming our tongues. Or we forget those that are marginalized in our society. Or at times we're not uh, having an eternal perspective as we go through sufferings and trials. And so as we look through all these different sections, we come to here and James asks this question, who among you is wise and understanding? When I come to this, I say, not me. <laughs> not me. 
Then he goes on, he says, by his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. Now he really starts to get down to, all right, how can we know the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom? You see, as Christ's followers, as believers, we need to have the ability to decipher the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. When we look at our political leaders, we need to ask ourselves, are they leading in a way that is worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? When we look at ourselves and how we lead in our workplaces, in our families, and in our neighborhoods, we need to ask ourselves, am I leading in a way of worldly wisdom or godly wisdom? So let's see James. He paints us, paints us a picture of worldly wisdom. What is worldly wisdom? He says, but if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition. So he immediately goes to worldly wisdom and he defines it as bitter envy and selfish wisdom. See, here's what our society teaches us, that we're supposed to look out for number one. That's really the American way, is look out for yourself. It's not about other people. It's all about you. Do everything you can to climb whatever ladder so you can make more money, so that way you can provide for your family, so you can have a comfortable retirement, and you can have a nice car and a nice house. The American dream is completely built on nothing but selfish envy and ambition. Now, as Christ followers, yes, we are supposed to take care of our families and be wise with our, with our money, and we need to be driven and not lazy. But worldly wisdom is driven by bitter envy and selfish ambition. James says, don't boast and deny the truth. So one of the number one ways that we can see the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, worldly wisdom is boastful. Worldly wisdom is, is outspoken and obnoxious and loud-mouthed and, uh, and is very just in your face. That's worldly wisdom. And James says, such wisdom does not come down from above but is earthly, unspiritual, and he even goes so far to say demonic. So when we come and we evaluate our own lives and we see when we have bitter envy and selfish ambition and boastfulness in our lives, that is anything but godly. That is everything that is demonic. And today, I think we see many leaders, many people who think they are leading because they're the loudest voice in the room. But as we're going to see in a moment, godly wisdom is often the quietest, most subdued voice in the room. So let's look at verse 16. James writes, he says, For where there is envy and selfish ambition there is disorder and every evil practice. You see where worldly wisdom leads to? It leads to absolute chaos. I think when we look at our country, 
not to call out our political leaders because I believe many, if not most of our political leaders do not know Christ, and so we shouldn't expect them to act any other way. But when we look at the state of the world and the country, we see disorder and every evil practice. Why? Because there's just a lot of worldly wisdom. And if we live with worldly wisdom, even as so far down to our families, we are going to see disorder and every evil practice. That is what worldly wisdom leads to. But now go to verse 17. James says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentleness, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. Are you starting to see the difference from the Word of God between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom? Godly wisdom is envious, it is selfish, it is boastful, and it is chaotic. But godly wisdom is, first of all, it's pure. Godly wisdom comes a place of absolute purity, of pure motives. There's not selfish ambition and envy, but the one that has godly wisdom comes from a place of of pure motives, not taking advantage of others, but coming from a place of purity of motives. Godly wisdom then is peace-loving. Godly wisdom is, is someone who possesses godly wisdom is one who's not quarrelsome, but is peace-loving. Not, it's not someone who's running away from conflict, because sometimes as Christ followers, we have to face conflict, but we are peace-loving. We are peace-loving people. But in reality, a lot of people who claim to be Christ's followers are not peace-loving people, just judging by their actions. I mean, how many times have we seen people, Christ followers, say, well, I just tell it like it is. Well, telling it like it is, is, can I just say this? Telling it like it is is not a spiritual gift, okay? It's not. A lot of times we as Christians, we think, oh, I'm just blunt, and I'm out there and telling it like it is, 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 they almost treat it like a spiritual gift. It's not a spiritual gift, okay? It's obnoxious, it's envious, and it's boastful, and it's wrong, and according to James, demonic, okay? So my response to people when they tell me, well, Adam, I'm, I just tell it like it is. I'm like, well, that's great, but that's also not a spiritual gift. Now, maybe I'm being boastful and obnoxious, so I have to fight that, but that is not... Um, that is not the, the spirit of a Christ follower. is someone that is peace-loving, that is going to um, not necessarily tell it like it is, but is willing to yield to others. The Apostle Paul talks about that in the church, we as brothers and sisters of Christ ought to yield to one another in love. We need to be peace-loving people. We are to be gentle. One who possesses godly wisdom is gentle. We think of, uh, he, he goes on to say, compliant. I think what's been very revealing in the last few months is people that are claiming to be Christ followers are having a real difficulty of being 
compliant. And so a Christ follower is one that is compliant, that is peaceful, and it says full of mercy. We talked about a few weeks ago that a Christ follower is one who has a great care and concern for those who are marginalized throughout society. And so we see this again as someone who is full of mercy. That is one thing that I am not have I have the, the I don't have I have a, I have to pray for mercy. I have to pray to have that. Sometimes I can be hard and I can be tough and I need to be merciful. A godly wisdom is full of mercy and good fruits. Then I love this next way that James describes godly wisdom, unwavering. There's a mentor of mine, I may have mentioned it publicly like this, but I've, I know I have definitely have mentioned it in meetings. You, you've all probably heard me drop the name James Long. When I was a youth pastor in Trustful, Alabama, uh, I served there as a student pastor uh, working with students, and there are administrative pastor. His name was James Long, and James um, had and still has a huge impact on my life. And when James came to our church, uh, he made a lot of changes uh, administratively that needed to happen, and he faced a lot of criticism. A lot of people said, how dare he come to our church and make these changes and all this. But what I saw in James was someone who was gentle but firm. He was peace-loving. He had pure motives, but he was unwavering. And one time he told me, I asked him, like, James, how, how are you dealing with all of this criticism and all this? He said, Adam, one of the best pastoral advice I can give you is sometimes just stick to your guns. Just gently and firmly stick to your guns. That is godly wisdom. There are going to be times where you and I, as Christ followers, are going to have to be unwavering. Unwavering when it comes to biblical truth. Unwavering when it comes to the character of God, godly wisdom is unwavering. And then it says, without pretense. What's another way to say without pretense? Humble. There's a humbleness to godly wisdom. I've always enjoyed history. Sometimes I wonder if I should have majored in history in college. I just, I just love it. Um, I, w- I don't know if I would ever want to teach it, but I, I just really enjoy history. And um, a couple years ago, I was reading a book about George uh, wa- wa- uh, Washington, and the gentleman that wrote it was named Ron Crenrow. I don't know. Has anyone read that book? It's, I mean, it's a really thick book. I thought I would never get through it. Um, you can go to Barnes & Noble or Amazon. You can see. I mean, it was really, 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 really big. So a few years ago, I said, I'm going to take us this summer, and this is what, all, this is what I'm going to read this summer about George Washington. So I read this book, read this book, and it was, it was just, it was a monster. I didn't think I was ever going to get through it. And 
to be honest, if there were some sections I may have sped right through it. Um, but it was, it was really, really good. And one, the, my biggest takeaway from that book, it was describing that when our nation was being founded, there was a thing called a Continental Congress put together. Of course, now I'm like, why did they set that up? But like, it's just the way that they did it, and, and here we are. But the Continental Congress came together, and it described that in this Continental Congress, as they started talking about the original 13 states and the dividing up of state lines and, and how they were going to go about all of this, this Continental Congress, there was a lot of shouting, a lot of arguing, and a lot of debate. And then when I you know, think about that, I'm like, huh, you know, some things have never changed in our country, right? And there was a lot of just this ugliness and uh, calling of people's names. And of course, it was politics, so you're going to have that. But in this book, it said that George Washington, and we have to remember, George Washington was a great general during the American Revolution. And it said that here he was, this great general that had a huge hand in helping our nation get its uh, freedom and liberty from uh, Great Britain. And he would sit in these meetings, and it said that he would sit there for hours and for days and not say anything. In this book, Ron Crenro, he says that he would often sit in the back of the room or off to the side, and he just would not say anything. And finally, after a few weeks of this debate and this ugliness by these politicians, they finally asked him what he thought. And he just gave a very short, simple answer. And next thing they kn you knew, he was being elected the first president of our nation. My, how things have changed. And Ron Crenro, in his book, Washington, he basically makes a statement, the reason why George Washington was such a great leader was because he just led with a quiet strength. He was unwavering, and he was without pretense. And here was a man, if anyone at that time could have pretense, it would have been George Washington. He was very wealthy, he had a gorgeous estate in Mount Vernon. I'm sure some of you have been there. I have. I love, the, I love Mount Vernon. I want to go back. He had a gorgeous estate. He had a lot of money. He, had, he was a successful military general. But here in that moment of the Continental Congress, he was without pretense. He was humble. He led with humility. Faith, family, Someone who possesses godly wisdom is someone who is without pretense, who is humble, who doesn't talk about themselves. And now look at verse 13 as we close. It says, And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. So as we've seen this morning, the difference between godly wisdom and worldly wisdom we have a huge benefit because as I read through this, I said, okay, I, I say I want to possess and have worldly wisdom. Who do I look to for that? We have the ultimate example of worldly wisdom, and who is that? That was Jesus Christ. We look in the Gospels and how Jesus lived his earthly life. He was someone that was, was pure, Jesus was peace-loving. He was gentle. He was compliant. He was full of mercy and good fruits. 
Christ was unwavering and without pretense, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate cultivate peace. And praise God, Jesus came so we all could have peace. And so as Christ's followers, let's follow Jesus in having godly wisdom. Pray with me. Lord, I feel like I pray this every week as we've been walking through James. And God, we need your help. We need your help to have the ability to live a life of godly wisdom. Jesus, change our hearts. Show us how you live so we can show you to the world and we can have godly wisdom. Lord, give us the ability to discern the difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. Help us to follow after those who possess godly wisdom. Help us to each become leaders that possess godly wisdom so we can lead others to you. Change our hearts, O God. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.